Welcome to Practice Freedom. What if you could hang out with owners and founders from all sorts of healthcare private practices, having rich conversations about their successes and their failures, and then take an insight or two to inspire your own growth? Each week on Practice Freedom, we take an in-depth look at how to get the most out of both the clinical side and the business side of the practice, get the most out of your people, and most of all, how to live the healthy life that you deserve. I'm Mark Henderson Leary. I'm a business coach and an entrepreneurial operating system implementer. I have a passion that everyone should feel in control of their life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. Part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on these conversations in order to make the biggest impact in your practice and ultimately live your best life. Let's get started. Today, our guest is my friend Chris Light, and he is one of the founding board members of Principal Health System, and he's really in charge of business development, growing that business. Uh, and that company focuses on using modern tools and data to help doctors give better personalized care, which is a very important topic right now and always has been, but especially now. He's also the founder of Concord Life Sciences, which is a diagnostic lab. But fundamentally, more than anything else, he's an entrepreneur just like you and me. So welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me, Mark. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited too, and I want to throw you off guard from the from the very beginning and just ask you, because we're we're for those I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but we are ten to fourteen weeks. I can't keep track of time. We're, we're three months into the COVID nineteen crisis. It's it's challenged people in a lot of ways. Entrepreneurs, uh, no different. What have you learned about yourself in the last three months? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I've learned most importantly that I needed to take some time off, which I just did recently, um, and unplug, which in my world, uh, we're on the front line you would consider with COVID. Um, so I would say it's like a kind of a constant fire drill uh, over the past couple months for us. Um, and so I was able to kind of take about eight days last last week. Um, and really turn my phone off. Lucky to do that because I have business partners. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, but, uh, that's I would say that's, I've traditionally been pretty good at uh, putting putting time away to get away from work. Um, and, and traditionally, like at least once a quarter, I, I like to take a lot of time off, not necessarily a long amount of time, but just frequently. Um, and hadn't done that since the start of COVID because of everyone. My wife's pregnant. I've got a three-year-old. And so it's... But your wife's pregnant now? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, dude. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 you can't go on airplanes and things like that. And so finally, we, I was like, we, we have to do it. And we just did a little small staycation. Um, and it reminded me of why it's so important. So that's probably what I've learned is just it, there's no excuse not to, you know, get your mind right. So I got a million questions. You just you, you dropped like a million seeds, like the front lines, uh, the wife's pregnant, a staycation, re renewal, partners. Every, every one of those is sort of the deep well. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to go with something tactical, though. Uh, how did you pull off a staycation that, that was renewing? Uh, so we did. Uh, we went down. So I'm in Houston, Texas. Uh, the closest beach here is Galveston. Um, so we decided to go during the week to beat crowds, obviously. Um, outside pool and beach. And so that's kind of, you know, as safe as you can be in, in the public. Uh, so we think currently uh, ate all of our meals outside um, or in our, well, my wife and uh, my son ate breakfast in the room. Um, so just to kind of be careful of that. And then we went to a resort up in Lake Conroe again, you know, outside pool, we rented a boat, um, you know, and I, I think the entire seven days we ate at one restaurant inside. So okay. everything was outside. Um, so a lot of, a lot of sunlight, as you can see, I'm a little dark. <laughs> <laughs> Looks good. I thought maybe just the lighting. So how, so to go into that space, um, how do you manage, you're in the healthcare world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm struggling to try to put this. There's a million questions that are all trying to jump out at once. How do you manage the um, the emotional decisions of risk versus the scientific decisions? Or, or the, you know, you've got there's data coming in, and there's we're just going to do this because there's a lack of data. How do you make those decisions for yourself about what's safe and what's not? Yeah, um, that's that's a really good question. So, I mean, ultimately, we have 
you'd be surprised about the amount of people who come to me and like, well, what should I do? And I'm like, I'm not the uh, authority here on telling you how to handle COVID. I'm like, yes, we're a healthcare company, but I'm not a doctor. And I'm certainly CDC, um, you know, or an authority on on telling people how to handle it. But personally for my family, um, my wife's pregnancy has made it a little bit bigger of a deal to me than it would be otherwise. We're in our thirties. Um, most of the numbers are heavily skewed toward people over 65. Um, so I wouldn't be super concerned. There's not a ton of data on pregnancy. Um, I, I know two personal stories on pregnancy that didn't turn out so hot. Um, with, so with COVID? Yeah. Okay. Um, we've got a team member here whose wife works on a COVID floor who they emergency or, or emergency C-section ICU for, for a pregnancy. But again, that's not the entire story. So it's, yeah. you know, from a scientific standpoint, you kind of want to look at data over time that you can actually rely on. Um, but so just, we've been more cautious than we probably otherwise would be if I was, you know, in my traditional friend, my traditional friend group um, outside of, of, of her pregnancy. But yeah, I mean, I think you look at the data, which we do and I do, and overwhelmingly the data supports that people in my age group who are not immunocompromised or have, you know, large factors to be concerned of shouldn't be super concerned. And so um, I wear a mask. You got a mask, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I do wear a mask. I'm I'm washing my hands probably more than I've ever in my life before. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just trying to be as careful as you can, but you know, if, I don't know if you have young kids, but I mean, a three-year-old touches everything and puts everything in his mouth. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what I do. If he goes out anywhere, um, we did pull him out of daycare. Um, so he's staying home full time right now. Um, but other than that, I mean, just trying to be careful and also not trying to live like a, you know, a hobbit in a hole either yeah. life needs to go on. And so at the beginning, especially when Houston went on lockdown, my wife was like, how are you going to go to work? And I'm like, how am I not going to go to work? <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, the first month I probably have worked more hours than I've probably worked in 10 years from a standpoint of like, I mean, I literally had to go to my wife and ask permission, not so much as like, I don't know if I was going to ask permission, but it was like a, a frank conversation of like, Hey, I need to pass. Like we are slant. Um, and not from a financial standpoint, just from like a work and a changing of work. Um, and so it's changed for sure. So let's go there. What are you seeing on the front lines? What What is slammed? So the big thing in the beginning was just a change of work, right? So you're virtual all the time. Well, we're not. <laughs> um, and none of our employees were, and none of our team was, was virtual. Um, so dealing with that, dealing with, well, I'm exposed, but you're also my microbiologist and I need this person in the lab. Well, I'm not allowed to have you here for 14 days. And so dealing just fire drills and a lot of them have subsided. Um, and from, from that standpoint, um, from everything to lower staff, uh, when they first cut elective procedures, our revenue went through the floor. So we're probably down 60%, um, from a revenue standpoint. Um, so there's just a lot going on, right. And we didn't know what was going to happen with PTP. And so it's just, are we furloughing? Are we laying off? Can we afford to stomach the, you know, the revenue? And so it was just a lot, a lot of things going on. But from the frontline standpoint, if you're referencing like COVID, um, I can tell you in the beginning, we were seeing 2% positives. Uh, as of like last week, we're at 30% of tests coming through the lab are positive. Really? Uh, okay. So how much, so give some color around that. What are you testing? How many tests are you doing and for whom? And, and kind of get some context. Cause yeah. I think that's a big problem with the data that people like take a, a number and, a, and, and they don't know what the background of that is. Yeah. So, um, in the beginning, it was a lot of, a lot of negatives. Um, we're doing COVID-19. So I do three different types of tests. We do COVID-19, uh, molecular PCR testing, which is kind of like your gold standard CDC testing, right? Um, the CDC validated the method and basically gave it out to everybody and said, Hey, this is public health. We need everybody to have this. And so they gave the recipe. Um, and that's the swab testing. That's either throat, throat or nasal. Yeah. And it goes pretty far back. Um, so then we also have a rapid antigen test, which is also a nasal pharyngeal swab issued under an FDA emergency use authorization. Um, it's a 15 minute test. That is what you will most commonly find at like maybe a walk-in ER 
mobile, uh, minor ER or walk-in urgent care, if you're leaving with instant results, it's going to be what we're using or something comparable. Um, and then you have, we also do antibody testing, which is, you know, your IgG, IgM, which is um, really indicated for post-exposure. Now you have antibodies. And so as a disclaimer, if people actually hear this in any time, there's a lot of people marketing that as detection and it's incorrect. Um, and right. so it really the antibody is for post-exposure. Um, if you have antibodies, you had an infection at some point. Right. So in this 30%, these are on the PCR tests or what? All PCR is what I've given you. The antigen okay. test, we haven't, we haven't, I mean, it literally launched this week, so I don't have enough data and haven't followed it yet. Um, but the 30% is what I, what is from the uh, PCR right. test. And those antibody tests, of course, are what everybody was hoping would be such the, the, the savior. Yeah. Uh, looks like it's not really delivering a lot yet because we don't know how long the antibodies live in us. So yeah, it's it's tough. Um, the data that we have now supports that they stay long enough for sure for us to test them. Um, but the big thing is with most viruses, you don't get them again, assuming there's no um, mutation in the strain, right? Uh, but there's not enough data on COVID-19 to say, hey, if you had it, you can't get it again tomorrow. Now there's not a whole lot of cases. Uh, most of the cases that came out, they thought was faulty testing. Um, meaning they were diagnosed on the front side on, on the first go around, but they actually didn't have COVID. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, remains to be seen how that, how that plays out. So yeah, we haven't seen, um, a huge demand from the antibody testing like we are in the detection, um, PCR testing, um, which is echoed, I'm, I'm a one case, uh, N of one, but from our manufacturer who's global, um, they have, that my rep has said the same thing to us. Like, yeah, we're just not seeing the demand that we were expecting on antibody testing. So the 30%, and I guess I want to go, cause I can't help myself. Sure. The concept of specificity that, you know, we're looking at false positives, false negatives, the false negatives look very solid. Like we're like, we're no, actually there's other way around. It's false negatives. We're saying I've seen people say that it's upwards of 70% false negatives mm -hmm. due to a lot of factors, uh, not necessarily the test. It could be the, how the test, how the sample is handled. It could be the examiner. It could be other factors, but if you're positive, you're pretty much freaking positive. So if you're seeing an upward trend and an acceleration of, of positives, that's, that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can, I can take that both ways and we've had people tell us, Hey, I'm, there's no way I'm positive. Uh, I've two personal friends who were tested in Florida, and both positive, asymptomatic. Um, and so we've had people like that. Hey, I don't have symptoms. How can you call me positive? Um, and yeah, you're, you're right in the sense that the, the biggest error on a PCR test is, is what we would call pre-analytical, meaning handling of the specimen, collection of the specimen, um, mislabeling, things like that, which are highly, I mean, we use robotics in our lab. So it's once it gets there and we barcode it, it goes, you know, the human error element goes super down. Not to say it doesn't happen. It's, it happens in every lab in the world at some very minute percentage, right? Um, but in general, any error in testing from that standpoint, when you're using the gold standard PCR testing, um, is going to be mostly pre-analytical errors if the, what the result is, is pretty solid. So who's getting access to the testing that you're doing? Is this just anybody off the street or who, who is, who, who's getting tested? Yeah, so we support a handful of different people. So we support in Houston uh, around around 75 uh, skilled nursing facilities, which is like what people call a nursing home, um, skilled nursing facilities and what we would call LTAC hospitals. So long-term acute care, it's kind of like a level above a nursing home. Um, and so they have ICUs and things like that. So from that standpoint, we service part of the riskiest population in the world. Um, yeah. And then we also have a drive-through at our main location, so you can drive through nine to five Monday through Friday. And I would suspect, again, I don't know, but that's just you know, me or you wake up and say, "Hey, I want to go get it. I want to get it done now. I'm not going to the doctor. I'm not going to the ER. Something like that, right?" Mm -hmm. um, and then we are supporting employers as well. So we get, I mean, I probably get five six calls a day from employers saying. I had an infection or I had someone who came in contact or I just want to be safe or, you know, um, and so we do mobile testing for them as well. They can either come on site and we'll test them or we'll send a mobile team to them. Have you done the test? Twice. Yeah. 
it was traumatic for you or no big deal? <laughs> so your eyes water for sure. Um, and I, <laughs> I self-administered, which you shouldn't do, but you know, okay. Okay. With me and you. Um, but uh, you, you really, I'm getting the heebie-jeebies. I'm like, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of wiggling in my chair, like imagining this thing to, like tickling my brain. It sounds yeah. horrible. Um, I wouldn't give it to someone else to, to self-administer, being that I train people how to use it. Um, I'm familiar with how deep it needs to go, and when it's uncomfortable to keep going, I kind of know. Um, that just got me. <laughs> but uh, it'll make your eyes water. It's uncomfortable. Um, you'd be surprised. I've administered it to people in training. I've done live patients in training just to show staff how to do it um i've had everything from people like you know they like start to shake which is super uncomfortable because it becomes almost a little bit more unsafe yeah. um all the way to people who don't feel it they're just like that's really? it I'm expecting this to be so bad and you're like i don't know wow so i guess you were negative both times right yeah <laughs> We got a couple of positives though. So we have, I don't know, 250, 280 employees now, something like that. 250, I don't know, something around there. Um, we've had a handful, probably 15 positives. Um, so it's a fire drill every time, right? I mean, we're testing everybody in the department, you know, distancing and, you know, things like that. Luckily, we haven't had anybody from a standpoint that has like most of the people that have tested positive aren't like, what I would call like mission critical from a standpoint of I haven't had a lab tech or my lab director or a microbiologist. I haven't had somebody like that. Actually, that's not true. One, I had one, which created a massive problem. One. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so I know we're kind of in anecdotal territory, so I want to keep this really, you know, giant pile of asterisks on this. So in terms of you get a positive, what have you seen about the risk of spread and how your practices have kept you insulated? Because I mean, I'm, I'm trying to compare thinking of like the landscaper and the fence guy where like there's no social distancing. And if one of those guys gets it, they're all getting it, in my opinion, without yeah. data. You're, you have had it. You've got a big population. You've got practices in place, place. You know, what are your beliefs and practices and how has it played out in terms of spreading? Yeah, I can give you a couple cases. Again, hardcore asterisk because this is not <laughs> research. Yeah. So I don't have any emails of people telling me how stupid I am. Um, yeah. You might just but, keep your email address. Usually at the end of this, I ask how do people get a hold of you. You might just say, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can give you a handful of examples. Um, but I've I, we tested a restaurant, 26 employees, 50% positive. Um, whoa, whoa, that's worth 50% positive. Now, were they symptomatic? I only saw the back end data. I didn't deal on the okay, front end. Okay. Um, uh, have a have a personal friend who owns eight restaurants. Um, they're full service, you know, waiter, everything, um, bar. Uh, they've had three, and not one time did it spread. They tested the whole restaurant. Now, um, now you, this is your friend here. So do you do you believe that they have tight processes in place? Yeah, it's a they're they're pretty pretty well put together. Because it's all over the map in my experience. The people claim to be very yeah. process driven and you see them and they're like, that's not at all what you're supposed yeah. to be doing. But but do you believe that that is a result of adhering to good practices? It certainly wouldn't hurt. I mean, I can't tell you that's the reason, but I, it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, I can tell you in our personal workspace, um, the amount of times we've seen it spread was one time and they carpooled together. And okay. so you expected because it's one of the big things you're recirculating air. Most cars recirculate air conditioning. No um, masks, you assume? No, no mask and carpool? I would doubt it. Yeah. I would doubt it. Um, but so, and then my best friend um, who lives in Florida was positive. He has three kids and a wife. Decided to not quarantine himself after being positive with three kids and still slept in the same bed with his wife and did not pass. Now, granted, Whoa. he was very asymptomatic. Um, he did wear a mask after he got positive, but very asymptomatic from the standpoint of he's like, I wouldn't miss work if I didn't know it was COVID, right? I, I would just, you know, have a little headache or something like that. Um, but he didn't pass it to anybody. And I tested his children. Wow. How did he yeah. discover he, he had it or what made him think to test? Uh, he made a poor life decision and went to uh, a nightclub for a birthday and someone else was like, hey, uh-huh. And so you could get checked and then he kind of had the feeling, you know, he's fuzzy and, you know. Wow. So, that's all it takes. That's it, man. 
So how, how much of your world is data? Like, are you processing data in your mind all the time? Or is this just, just coming up when you have to really deal with it? Now? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not a, a super high detail data person. We have people like that on our team that yeah. I can sort of pull that data from. Like data that I just gave you the 30%. I didn't Because where I'm trying to get at is um, distorted perceptions. Like, so, you, you know, if you go to the ER, every mm -hmm. ER doctor is just afraid of a skateboard, right? You know, it's like you, the, the skateboards are evil because yeah. all they do is they see skateboard accidents all day long. Yeah. And then, you know, the skateboarders are like, I've been riding this thing my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not what I experienced. Yeah. So, so we as a public are trying to figure out, is it, should we be terrified or is it all a conspiracy? And obviously it's somewhere in between. So yeah. how do you balance this, what, what, you know, your set of anecdotes, the data you have access to, and sort of you know, gauge the, the sense of truth? How do you yeah. find the sense of truth? Yeah, I mean, I've vacillated both sides. Um, I can tell you I'm not a person who watches the news at all. I consume very little news, like from traditional type of news sources, right? So like TV and things like that. Um, I have looked at the CDC data several times. It's not a daily thing for me, but I've looked at it. And so to me, like I said, the, the thing that makes me feel most comfortable is it's very evident where the overwhelming percentage of deaths are coming from is from elderly and immunocompromised. And so I think if you fall into one of those categories, you should be very concerned. And I think if you don't, you should still be very safe because it's responsible. Um, you know, I don't, I think asking someone to wear a mask, I mean, how, how, I guess that's become political from what I've heard now. Um, exactly. I don't uh, get it. I don't get that at all. But <laughs> to me, I'm like, you know, small thing to ask for. Uh, exactly. We shut the damn whole state down for weeks and you're like, mask is where you're drawing the line? Like, uh, please move, move, move your priorities to something more useful. Anyway, yeah. hope I, I offended like about everybody. I think I said that. But yeah, so I just think you, it, it's, you know, but I don't think we need to hold ourselves up in our house and not do anything. I also just think that's unhealthy in general. But um, yeah, there's some fur in between. And then as a, as a business owner, um, you know, I can tell you when we were in lockdown, I was like, we can't just like my business will go away, um, as will a lot of doctors and a lot of hospitals. Um, you know, people don't understand. A lot of people don't understand like, oh, hospitals must be killing it. I'm like, I think Memorial Herman posted like a $95 million loss yeah. during the lockdown. Um, yeah. Hospitals make money by performing procedures, like surgical procedures, right? Um, COVID is not like a big boom for business for them, you know? Yeah. Um, and so just like us. So from that standpoint, again, that's a biased view to have. And so I'm like, we yeah. need to get to work, you know? Um, but I recognize simultaneously if I wasn't in, the business owner hat at that point in time. Like, I don't know what I would have been saying, but I'm, you know, I didn't sit in that seat. So. Well, part of the question or part of the challenge is the, we, like, who is the, we, we need yeah. to get back to work. It's not binary. You, you can't just send yeah. everybody back into the streets because right. the risk is not equally distributed mm -hmm. and your ability to, to adapt your business is dramatically different. And I, and I do think there are businesses who have barely had to adapt at all. Yeah. And there are businesses who no amount of ad adaptation can, can really, help them sure i agree with you on that yeah I mean, there's there's businesses that will never be the same there are businesses that will disappear and then there's people that just poured gasoline on the fire for them you know yeah that's 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 for, for sure a big issue and i think that when we push back on it politically with the with the greater we um it just creates for an irrational fight yeah. uh, like who's we uh, every individual should be saying i need to get back to work even yeah. if you're, you know, and, and you're, and if you're a pizza, there was that guy in New York, I think, or Jersey, he was like, you know, this is my, this is my life. I need to be serving pizza. Yeah. I think that guy should be advocating for himself. He yeah. may not win, but I do think he needs to defend himself <laughs> because that's survival. That's how it works. Yeah. But that's not, that's not to say that he should be allowed to just go back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's uh, those are different. It's sort of opposing counsel. Uh, you know, you, you, there, there's a, there's an advocacy for yourself and there's an advocacy for other people. And, and there's, right. some, there's a natural polarity there. Okay. So have you guys had to adapt? Oh, a ton. Yeah. Um, so when we first started, um, so one of the things we, we support a lot of musculoskeletal physicians, right? Um, so when we first 
even with when everything went telemedicine, we had COVID testing. Well, people didn't want to go to the doctor. They wanted to go to telemedicine. So at first we, we started, okay, well then we'll launch direct to consumer. Meaning if the doctor sends us an order, we'll mail it to the physician. Well, the FDA didn't like that idea. Um, so they don't, again, cause it's a self collection, right? Even if with proper video introductions and yada, yada, yada. Um, and most of the doctors were afraid, but so we started basically offering lab tests where we would send people to people's homes. Very hard to do, um, from a scaling standpoint, but you know, to some degree of extent it, it worked. Um, now people are no problem going to get swabbed and things like that. So we, we, we kind of draw that, drew that back. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of sh- focus in what we do in our business is, you know, we have like four or five different verticals um, that we primarily drive revenue for us. We just try to pour gasoline on the ones that are working and hope they'll support the rest of the team, you know, um, which is part of the way we designed the business in the first place because um, healthcare is really super ever changing. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, we, we, the way we delivered care changed, um, a little bit. I mean, we didn't have like a massive pivot, like, Hey, we used to do this. And now like, I'm not a gin distillery that was like, now I do, you know, hand, hand sanitizer. Everybody <laughs> um, loves that one. <laughs> so we didn't pivot like that, but the way we delivered care, you know, we had to pivot a little bit there. So as you describe that, um, talked about how you got pushback from insurance and, and that kind of thing, how much of your world and everybody's world should we be concerned about the politics of the big companies? And uh, thinking that Ron Barshop, who was on this, this podcast before really has a stance about transformation and he'll, he'll point to an awful lot of um, big bad guy players who are not, who he believes are not good for the evolution and for, and for better outcomes. Um, But I'm not pointing one way or the other. I I spent some, some time this morning reading through some of the data on, the therapeutics, um, remdesivir and hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. And, uh, I was, I was kind of stunned about how, how shallow I, it was. Here's a study, here's an opinion and conspiracy theory. Like it's only, it's the, (laughs) how much do we have to worry about politics and influence of large pharma and, and world organizations whose opinions are politicized contaminating, um, good healthcare, good decisions, good data, good outcomes. I mean, specifically to kind of answer that question, I don't feel that I'm qualified to answer that question. I'm in general, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Um, I'm not either. So that's good. <laughs> um, like the whole, you know, the vaccines kill people thing. Um, I, 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 yeah, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that question. I, well, I, so I, take, take it to your experience. So like, have you, have you tried to do business in a way, because your mission is about better healthcare, you know, being physician centric, make, make it possible with new ways of doing things. So doctors can do, give better care. Sure. Do you find political opposition to that? That is dramatic or do you, do you just have to do regular entrepreneurial bit by bit transformation? I would say not necessarily political opposition. I mean, although it's well documented that the political, the medical lobby is like the largest in the world. Not, I'm not part of the hospital political lobby. Um, we don't have those kind of dollars. Um, but uh, it's it's well documented that that you know big pharma and big hospital association their lobbies are huge. Um, and I think there is a lot of things in healthcare that are completely backward. I wouldn't say I have political opposition. We definitely have uh, healthcare payer. I don't even know if I would call it opposition. Um, and I struggle to think of it because I try to put myself in their shoes too. And so they run a business simultaneously, right? And so what do you do in your business? You grow, you vertically integrate, you do all these things to make a run, you know. But some of them have gotten quite large um, to where people like Ron um, would argue now that they're dictating care, um, which is kind of a whole new scope of like, are you my health insurance company? Are you now determining if I get the surgery or the medication that my doctor says I need, you know? Um, And there's definitely, there's, there's, well, there's documented truth to that in in lawsuits. 
Um, well, I actually had an experience like that a couple of years ago. I had chosen a doctor through my network and it was a Methodist doctor to do a procedure or I think it was Methodist. And whoever it was, it was somebody I chose top tier recommended. And my insurance company would not stop bugging me to yeah. say like, hey, you know, there's another doctor closer, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm, you mean cheaper? Yeah, yeah, I mean, cheaper and closer and they're very qualified. And I was like, I got this. Like, and yeah. I was very surprised. Yeah. And, but they, they, let, they let me go. They didn't harass me too much, but they called me at least three times to make sure. Yeah. Well, and you'll find, but you're, you know, educated, you know, a leader, like person who doesn't just take no for an answer. So it's like, just imagine the average person who yeah. gets that call, like, oh, yeah, I'll just go over there, you yeah. know? So for sure. I mean, obviously you chose that doctor through some form of, you know, qualification, whether it be peer group, friends, referrals, things like that. It's one of the hardest things in healthcare is, is there's no scorecard, for example, like a, like a baseball player on a, you know, there's no average on your, you know, there's no ERA or things like these, these things with, it's very hard to drive through and kind of peel those, peel those layers back in healthcare to determine who's a good doctor. Yeah, for sure. And I don't, and I think, well, I've talked about this at length. It's not a consumer driven market. It yeah. is, it is, it is, uh, for a couple, for lots of reasons I can't even get to the bottom of myself, but cust the customer, the patient doesn't know that they need to know. Yeah. And they don't, they expect that the white coat means genius means yeah. godlike. And I, and I, and I say that with absolute admission that that was me. Like I yeah. really did not understand that the human walks in that door that may or may not have a bad day that may or may not be thinking about me because of what's going on in their world. And that I really had to advocate for myself, uh, human, human, not doctor, superhuman. And, yeah. uh, and when I started pushing hard to get answers and push back, like, well, I've heard about this procedure or this medication or whatever, I found to my shock that people would be like, well, that's a good point. And yeah. I was just like, what do you mean? That's a good point. Like, aren't you supposed to have thought that through? Yeah. And, uh, and that's not the case, not at all. And some people do, but some people don't. Yeah. Yeah. My wife had the same exact experience. Um, ultimately she discovered that she had something that took a long time to figure it out, but she would walk in with a file and the doctors would just be like, she would ask them questions about, cause you know, like, it was, it's a rare thing that she, that she had. And so it's like, ultimately, like you might've had a week of training in med school, on, you know what I mean? Or even maybe a chapter and, and she would really be super prepared on herself. And, and in general, that's just a good rule of thumb, especially for, you know, as like a PSA is, you know, advocate for yourself in anything that you do, but especially in your healthcare, um, nobody's perfect, but they mean, I mean, doctors mean well, they went to school to, to treat you and they took an oath to you know, to take care of you, but it's, it's, you should advocate for yourself and look for therapies that you think may work. And doesn't mean you're going to go tell them what you, they need to do for you, but it's more about like, Hey, this is an open conversation. And if you're open for ideas and we can kind of ping some ideas back and forth. Yeah, for sure. So what, what do you, do you, do you find yourself as a, as an entrepreneur right now, mm -hmm. trying to craft solutions? Are you full of ideas or are you just kind of on the ground executing? What's what's on your mind in the transition from the old world to the new world as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, so we had a huge plan for the year that we could, you know, like me and everybody else kind of crumple up and throw out the door for our plan for 2020. Um, I would say it's hybrid. So I'm lucky enough. So I have three primary business partners. Um, and so that comes with some luxuries of being, you know, we have to execute and be on the ground sometimes, but we also have some of the luxuries of not having to do it all ourselves and, and figuring that out, which allows us to work on the business quite frequently. Well, you describe that as a luxury, but I will tell you from my experience that it is the only tool that allows you to scale and grow. If yeah. you keep trying to do it all yourself, that is a recipe for burnout, frustration, and bad results. And yeah. it, the only thing that gives you the ability to make an impact is to figure out how to enroll others and, and allow them to use their gifts to carry yeah. the burden with you. And so yeah. don't minimize that. If you've got three yeah. partners that you trust and count on, that is a huge secret to success. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I've had the bad partner too, or partner. Um, <laughs> yeah. I say it's a luxury to have, you know, the ones that I, that I currently have that, you know, work out really well and we like each other a lot. Um, but so we're executing obviously from the standpoint of like, I can tell you like my biggest pain point today, hands down is I can't get results out faster than anybody wants them. 
Um, people want their results yesterday when they, you know, didn't get, they want their, their results before we actually swab them, you know? Um, and unfortunately it's just not the world. That's not how the world works. And so, uh, and then people will do some research like, well, it only takes an hour on the instrument. You're like, yeah, but the logistics of like getting everything prepared and getting, you know, it's just not that simple. And then we're receiving more samples right now than our daily capacity, which just creates a backlog in itself. Um, that's my biggest, like, if you, if you would say, Hey, are you on the ground? Like, yeah, I'm in that problem right now. Um, and I don't think there's any way around it. Um, on my team, I'm the most, uh, involved on the laboratory side. That's primarily my background. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I'm dealing with that on a day-to-day basis right now. Um, big picture. Um, I can tell you, uh, at least amongst my partners, like, I think we're going to, at some point, like if you look at history, things like this have happened. And so we'll get back to whatever normal is. Right. Um, and so we look at, I mean, we just hired, we have a, we have a physician practice. We just hired three new providers. Right. Um, we just, uh, signed an acquisition to, uh, to buy another practice. And so we're looking at, you know, Hey, it's business as usual. Let's get back to work and, and keep growing. Um, and so, yeah, it's a combination of both. So interesting. So there's two types of, of entrepreneurial leaders that uh, in, in the system that I teach EOS, we talk about visionaries, you talk about integrators. Yeah. So the visionary is typically the uh, emotionally motivated, take a bigger bite of the future yeah. um, outside type of leader. Yeah. The integrator is more, we have a plan, we're going to execute on the yeah. ground, data driven, less emotional, eat comfortable with hard conversations. Which bucket do you kind of think of yourself in? Are you allowed to say both? You can you can say whatever you want. I mean, I probably challenge you. <laughs> well, I can tell you for one hundred percent certainty, my business partner James is a visionary in our company. Yeah. Uh, dude can move way faster than I could ever imagine. Um, I mean, he'll close a deal for three hundred percent of what we can do, and he's like, "Well, we'll just figure it out." <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So from that standpoint, he's definitely, uh, from that standpoint, I see him as a visionary. Um, I would say, I mean, I guess I feel like we work so much on the business that we, we have a team. So I'm not, you know, we're not a 15 or 25 person company. So we have a level of management that we get to work with, um, to, integrate what we want done. Right. You got the A players and they can get the job done on the field. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. We support the management team, but I'm never in like, we're never in like the muck of it from the standpoint of like training someone. I mean, I guess to dumb it down simply, like I would not be the person if this was a restaurant, like, Hey, this is how you put the cheese on the sandwich. Just like, I would never be at that level. I'd be dealing with the manager of the restaurant, you know, and saying, Hey, you got to cover this, 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 this. Yeah. Um, but I, I would tell you that I'm both, um, not for sure, not nearly as of a visionary as, as my business partner, James, who is our ultimately sits as our CEO. Um, but definitely a hybrid of both. Um, yeah. So I, I hear that. And, and, and to kind of backtrack on what I said about challenging it, pe- people can be, can have the tendencies of both, yeah. uh, but it's very, very difficult to do them at the same time because they yeah. fight each other. And so yeah, yeah. You're, you're constantly trying to bite off more and then rein yourself back in. And it's this really internal conflict that, that yeah. entrepreneurs really struggle with. But so what happens is, is like, if you have visionary tendencies, but you've got a great visionary, you can mm-hmm. sort of like settle down. Cause you're like, like, I don't, the ideas are getting yeah. handled. Like yeah. all I have to do is play. Like <laughs> there's somebody looking out in front of the yeah. ship. And so I was kind of sensing that you might be in kind of an integrator category. Like, like we have a plan and my job is to execute the plan. And if we have an obstacle, I got a guy and my guy's going to have a bunch of ideas that can help us plow through this obstacle if I need it. So I can just execute because you seem to have like a calm, cool demeanor and visionaries, um, tend to be a little bit excitable and antsy and in your visionaries, James, is that your guy? Yeah. So you, you might, I mean, I don't know him. He's probably totally fine, but visionaries right now are all as, as a, as a, as a species includes yeah. me get overwhelmed frequently yeah. with, Oh my God, I found another problem we need to solve. And we didn't solve the last 100 that I thought of yesterday. And, and so it's, it gets a little tense. And so yeah. having a great integrator like you cannot be, 
be overstated how powerful that is to be able to give them like, okay, you're right. You're right. We have a plan. I can let go of 97 of those ideas. And these three might be good. And you're like, yeah, those three are good. Keep thinking about them. And we'll talk about them next week. And that synergy, I just, that is the recipe for a healthy leadership team. And so your integrator energy, your integrator commitment to the plan uh, is just, if I've not already underscored it, it's so it is so valuable and you were rare and they're in there. And, they're, they're, and that tendency, that ability to do that is, is like, like one in five um, yeah. in compared to how many visionaries are out there, which is one in four of the population. So yeah. very rare. Are you familiar with the, I'm sure you are the culture index. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So James is a, is a trailblazer. Okay. Yeah. So, so what Pretty. that typically typically does for a guy like you is uh, fuels you up and you, you can, you don't need to worry about to, kind of looking forward as much as just looking around and like keeping the house clean and, you know, and like, Oh, fire. I don't know how to put a fire out <laughs> fire extinguisher. I put the fire extinguisher there. And so now I know to use it. <laughs> Whereas like the, the visionary has no idea where the fire extinguisher is. Just yeah. said, you guys need to put a better fire suppression system in. Now I'm going to go back and find another problem. Yeah. What do you tell the average person? I mean, how, how, this conversation we're having right now is, is I think, intended to try to like make this digestible. Because I think, by and large, everything we're de- seeing on the news is not digestible, and I think that the the general public is acting a little irrational. Yeah, and it's easy. And I do it. I criticize people for acting like sheep with no shepherd. Yeah, but. It's really kind of tricky. It's really tricky to try to sort the science out. I mean, so how many, when you, when you, the, the last 10 conversations with friends and family who were probably along these lines, you know, what was kind of advice you were to, to be thinking of this? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I kind of already mentioned it. So my parents are in the elderly category. Um, and so I've obviously, my mom's a school teacher, which, you know, obviously uh, wow. they're been pushed back. I mean, from, Trump's administration is wanting to open schools, um, which I don't have an opinion on, but she has an opinion on my mom, obviously, um, she's in her sixties. Um, and so just uh, my parents are smart people. They, you know, you talk to them as far as like, Hey, you just need to be safe. Like, you know, and they have grandkids around and things like that. Um, but I think it's kind of like what I said earlier, like people, it's very evident if you are in a category that is at risk. And if you are, you need to be incredibly careful. And if you're not, then, you still need to be responsible and careful um, to kind of get this thing behind us. But I don't get blown out of proportion either way, you know, not overly scared or overly confident. Well, yeah, so I I agree with that. Um, It's still hard to make it tangible. I can say, though, that my experience was that my uncle called me a couple of weeks ago and told me that my grandmother had died. Yeah. And uh, she was 97 years old and I'm, wasn't overly surprised to get the call. But yeah. even through all of this, I was surprised when he said, yeah, it was a COVID death. And I, what? Uh, I just, I just, no, you're 97. That's not, that's why you died. And and, and there is truth to that too. But um, the, the situation was she was in memory care facility yep. and uh, you know, Friday, five o'clock, every Friday, we're clean. Everybody's clean. Everybody's clean. We're clean. Good. Monday morning. One of the money, one of the money mornings, we have a situation. Yep. She has symptoms on a Saturday or Sunday. She mm. is labored breathing on a Monday. They make the decision end of life on Tuesday. Wow. Like that fast. And so, you know, I'm not saying that robbed her of the last 10 years of her life. Cause that is not the case. <laughs> she was on the, you know, uh, I, you know, that was not the case, but there were uh, healthcare workers who came in infected and, you know, some, something like 12 or 16 uh, healthcare providers in that, in some capacity that their staff were positive, eight patients positive, all older, had to shut down the memory care facility because they didn't have enough staff to run it. Yeah. And that's, that's the issue to me. Um, I'm not bitter that my 97 year old grandmother died. Um, but I, but I think the the concern is, you know, what, what were they doing? <laughs> what were those staff doing? And, and, and how do people think about that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, and unfortunately that's the issue. Um, and assisted living, skilled nursing, you know, it's not obviously these, these, um, 
these folks are not super mobile. So it's not like they're walking out and leaving. It's, you know, it's the catering company. It's, you know, the laundry, it's the nurses who left and came back, you know, um, and it's all brought in by employees. And so as soon as they shut down visitors, that's just really what it is. And so we have a team, I've got a team of mobile phlebotomists who, like I said, I mean, we service around 75 facilities now throughout Houston. And so we had, I think we only had one or two positives, um, from the phlebotomist on our, on our side. Um, but we started testing them more frequently just out of, you know, responsibility. Like we just felt like that was the right thing to do. Like, Hey, we should be testing these folks more frequently because the worst part about it is, and in that world is like our phlebotomist could have a route of four facilities in one day. Yeah. So it's like, then you just start going bing, 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 bing. And you're just taking it with you, you know? Um, and at the beginning it was like, you know, it kind of came in waves, but before it was super, uh, like where it became this huge problem. It was like, you know, early March where it wasn't that big of a deal. And then by the latter half of March, it was like a big, big deal. Um, and getting people just to be like, Hey, you have to wear a mask in these facilities. You know, in the beginning there was a little bit of pushback and then now it's like, it's just standard. Like, you, you know, it got to a point where it's like, no, you're going in there. And we, we didn't before there, we didn't wear masks. It's just gloves. You know, you go in and draw blood. Um, now we're at the point where you're in glove, you're in gloves, mask, a face shield and a lab coat. So it's, uh, and then we're testing them, you know, frequently to make sure, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really sad story. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but that's, well, I appreciate that. Um, like I said, I, 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 I'm, I miss her and yeah. that it's sad that she's gone. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not putting that on, on COVID yeah. that, that was part of, that was part of life's journey. Yeah. Uh, I shutting down the memory care facility. Mm-hmm. That's not my problem. That's their problem. And it is a problem. It's a big problem. So yeah. what the other, are there cornerstones of your safety protocol that you just sort of like, this is inalienable. And these are the things that we think make the biggest difference. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty well documented. It's literally wash distance mask. I mean, it's, that's, 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 that's <laughs> nothing new. Yeah, same thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've got thermal thermometers that we check people when they come in our buildings and things like that. Um, yes, but it's it, the formula is the formula that we've known it for a while. Yeah, some people don't want to necessarily follow it. So, I mean, if you're yeah. you can stay away from people in close quarters, wash your hands, keep your face clean. And the big thing is a lot of people don't we haven't talked about, but not only wash your hands, but don't touch your face. It's a really common thing to do. I do it. Oh my god. Oh, so I, I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> but COVID doesn't come through your arms, you know. I mean, yeah. it's got to get in pretty much your nose and your mouth, right? And primarily your nose. Yeah. Um, See, th- that's exactly what I say. When I get on a soapbox, which I have no right to be on, I yeah. say that that the government and the leadership and the spokespeople are talking about policy. And it is open, closed businesses. And that yeah. has nothing to do with you as an individual who just needs to keep that virus yeah. Out of your nose, your mouth, or your eyes. That's it. That's and and so we don't talk. I don't think that people spend enough time sort of refocusing their perspective on like, okay, I've heard the policy conversation and I agree with it or I don't agree with it. I'm about to leave the house. Where does the virus live? How do I keep the virus out of my eyes, my nose, and my mouth? And yeah. it's, I think it's just that simple. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Now there is the gray area of is it airborne or is it droplets, and what's the difference? Um, but I, but it's still the the, the process is still the same, yeah. and there's still an odds game there. And you're still better off, even if it's airborne, if you have a mask on. You know. Yeah, for sure. So what you know, I, people, I'll I'll pick at Walmart because Walmart's not coming after, not coming after me. But they are. I think they're the most maligned in terms of being the most inconsistent with their advertising strategy and the experience you have in the store. They their ads look like they are the icon of sanitation and uh, and protocol. And I have been told because I have not gone, <laughs> for, but that you go to a Walmart and and it is chaos in there. So that's just. A reference point, how do you as a business owner ensure compliance and uh, make sure that people are actually doing the processes and protocols that, you, that you've outlined for them? Yeah, it's that that's a I don't want to call it a struggle, but that that is something we deal with. Um, the amount of complaints we've received of such and such is not doing what they're supposed to do, right? Or they're not wearing their mask or um, and so what we've tried to do is empower our managers from a standpoint of, so the question comes up, okay, so we have cubicles in some of our offices, right? 
do I have to wear a mask at a cubicle? And so to me, I'm sitting at my desk. If I was going to require it, I think I should probably have it on right now, right? Um, but you sit below the cubicle, there's walls above you. And if you're sitting at your computer, to me, again, I don't have a huge issue with that. Um, but the minute you get up and leave your cubicle, I, I, you need to be in a mask and on our on our premises. And first of all, now I think it's mandated in Houston anyway. Um, or I don't think it is mandated. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we've received multiple complaints. And so what we've tried to do is empower our managers to kind of make those decisions to where if they have to write people up, then that's what we're doing. Um, but trying, you know, we try not to run, you know, I don't know what the right word is. We try not, you know, we not, try not to rule with the iron, you know, kind of by scare tactics and things like that. Um, and so we try to create an environment that encourages people to follow the rules because they want to follow the rules, not because, you know, necessarily they have to. And so we've sent multiple emails about like, Hey, you're part of the solution to the overall greater good of society. And so, um, we've had multiple emails go out from, you know, from us, like me and my partners or from our HR director saying, hey, the numbers are bad, but they don't have to be if you do X, Y, and Z. Like, you are part of the solution here. And, you know, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've had multiple people who don't follow the rules. And so they get to speak to, you know, management. So, so how big a problem is that for you? Um. And I'm not trying to, to pick on you. I, I, what I'm trying to do is say that if you here's here's my message. Like I won't be indirect. I believe that if you don't think this is a problem, you are lying to yourself as a business owner. If you think you're just going to say like, follow the protocol, please, that's not what happens. Like yeah. you have to really get in there and motivate and 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 inspect the process to the end. I mean, HEB has like a great reputation for how well they've 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 changed. I've been there a bunch, and they're not perfect at all. And I have complained for sure because and I I was literally like when they in the early days they they had this big sign and it said we are going to come to your for the pickup for groceries we're going to come to your passenger window I'm like, okay that makes sense and then somebody walks right out of that front door or walks right to the driver's side window and and i'm like do you see that sign and she says yeah. to me i've never read that sign <laughs> i was like are you kidding me yeah. and so i i got a little frustrated and, yeah uh, and she remembers that conversation i trust <laughs> So she came to the other side of the door, other yeah, car. Yeah. We finished the conversation. <laughs> but so, gonna... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So, so I'm saying like you, um, I think it's, I think it's important to, to say like, Hey, it's not easy for you either. And we're working on it and we're, <laughs> and we're doing it. And, and how are you, is it education? Is it like inspiration? You know, what are the tools you think that are making the biggest difference? Yeah. Um, so I'll answer that in two seconds. I was just going to say, when things like that happen at ATV, it makes me feel really good about myself as a business owner that we all have. <laughs> so, um, no matter how big you get, you know, yeah. it's still, managing people is is the world's hardest thing to do, right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's for us, it's just constant reminders, right? We've got signs, it's verbal, it's, you know, so... I still happen to run our sales team from a standpoint of um, we went through enough managers that didn't work out. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this until we can get it going. And we're about 18 months in now. Um, and then we'll hire a manager here probably in the next six months to a year. Um, but we have a weekly phone call because um, my team's remote and we're throughout the state. Um, we talk about safety every single week. Um, and so it's just something that we talk about um, to encourage people like, hey, I know as we get back to normal and things are picking up and things, you know, still you need to be distancing yourself when you're in an office with a doctor at lunch. When eight people come in for lunch or 10 people come in for lunch, you need to be, you know, be very cognizant. Like those people were in touch with people, right? And it just spirals. Yeah. Um, so we talk about that constantly. Um, we've got protocols from where people, certain people aren't allowed in certain areas of our building. So our building is all barcode access um, anyway, uh, not barcode, but badge access yeah um, but so you can't get in places you're not supposed to be in anyway from a standpoint of if you're in accounting you can't go walk in our laboratory right um right. you have no business being in there um doesn't mean you're not allowed to like get a tour or hey can you show me something but we just don't want people kind of aimlessly we deal with a ton of hipaa um you know protected health information things like that um so that is helpful in and of itself that people are only allowed to be in places they're allowed to be in um, but yeah, I mean, it's constantly talking, you know, of, of reiterating the fact of, hey, safety protocols, we need to be safe. 
um, every time, I mean, I can tell you one of my director of operations right now is out on quarantine and I'm like, it sucks. (laughs) So now she's working remotely, but it's just for us, it's different, um, remote, um, compared to, you know, in the office. Yeah, that is a big factor. I mean, I I had that sort of almost not quite a breakdown. So, you know, what what I do with my time, a lot of what I do is virtual, a lot of it's remote, a lot of it's in person. And all the uh, most of the leadership team development that I do teaching the executive teams to really get control of their business and have clear vision and drive accountability and have the best healthy leadership team possible and and therefore the, the best healthy company as a result, that work is tip classically done in person. Like I've traveled to them, they travel to me. And so for the last six months, I keep adding the time, four months, three months, three years, I don't know, three or four months, uh, we've done it all virtually. And the first couple of months were like, this is really great. This is fine. We don't need to even drive across town or, or, or fly. And we got people in other states. And you know, what was the big deal about being in person anyway? Like this last week, I'm like, just kill me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I must admit that I, I think it's probably a mixture of both. And I think, uh, but, but I'm struggling because I, I, I find myself isolated and mm-hmm. there's, some, we haven't, I don't think we've got full metrics uh, yeah. of what, how to describe, how to measure and counteract the effects. I think we have really high productivity and very efficient and, and a lot of efficiency in working from home is something we can do and we can send people home and they can be great. But there is a little bit of the of, of the blind spot that I don't think we fully got figured out about how to, yeah. how to really keep ourselves socially healthy. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like if you could almost compare it to homeschool, right? Like homeschool works. You can be a brilliant kid and be homeschool. It doesn't mean it's the best thing for you to do. Like I'm not going to homeschool my children, you know? Um, they, well, that's, that's a good point. Uh, homeschooling for people who understand and have a passion for homeschooling, I think is amazing. Yeah. Putting the average parent in the homeschool situation, that's not good. Yeah, we know this right now. <laughs> Say that again. We're witnessing that experiment right now. I think, I think you're seeing that that's having to happen. But yeah, no, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of hybrid work. Again, as a business owner, I've had the luxury over the past. I mean, I have not been employed now for almost 10 years. Um, maybe not that long. Um, but anyway, you know, you get to work on your terms, right. Um, which is a huge benefit of being an entrepreneur, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of both. Like I don't want to work remotely hundred percent of the time. I would, you know, I hate, I would hate that, but I also don't want to have to be in the office from nine to five. I think there's somewhere in the middle that achieves both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We got a lot to figure out there because I, I, I like one out of 10 calls of people that I'm not that familiar with, and, and if we go around and say something like, what'd you learn? Like, I like my favorite question lately is what'd you learn about yourself in the last 10, 12 weeks? Uh, one out of 10 people will say something like, I learned that I really don't like people that I was, I was not just a, a hunch. Like I'm actually feel better not having to socialize. And so, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, not an answer to me. That's a question. Like, what are we going to do with those people? And, and are they right? Are they going to yeah. explode in a couple quarters through, through loneliness and isolation that they haven't fully gotten their, their mind around? Yeah. Because I think, I think the science on, on humanity is kind of in that we're social creatures and, and it, happiness and, and socialization are closely linked. And I guess I could believe that there are some people who that's an exception for, yeah. but I would love to see data to prove it right now. I'm kind of skeptical. Yeah. No, I, I'm in agreement there. Yeah. Well, cool, man. So it, anything else on your mind you want to share? Mm, um, not particularly, man. So I, I'll hit you with the last question. The question that I love to end on is, um, yeah. You know, this group, the people who listen to this are entrepreneurs or or entrepreneurial leaders, whatever that means. Sometimes it's a member of the leadership team, people who are aspiring entrepreneurs, but people who want to take control of their life in some way. And and business might be part of that. So the question is, given what you know, what you've learned, what you're feeling at this very moment, what is your passionate plea to entrepreneurs right now? Ooh. Um. Let me think about that. Hmm. You can take if, if you give like a five minute pause, I'll just edit it out. So, <laughs> watching it, plea. Hmm. I've really got you. Yeah, I think. Hmm. 
That's a good question. This is, would have been the one that I wanted you to actually send me to beforehand so I could give you this amazing answer. You know, no, I'm kidding. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, we talked about scripted, right? Um, uh, well, life is not scripted. So no, that's what this no. is about. No, this is like a good old campfire question right here. Um, so what did you, when I said that question, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where did your, where did, in your mind, what did you start visualizing? Were there, were there yeah, specific so, people? Yeah. And so immediately I went to kind of like how we treat people from a culture standpoint. Um, but I can tell you it's been a hardcore focus of mine. So here, I think this will answer the question. It's been a hardcore focus of mine with the people that I work with directly to try to focus more on we, culture is a big thing that I'm sure you deal with and, and that we deal with. And so I've tried to take a, a hardcore approach to work on people or work with people that I work directly with on our team um, to engage outside of work, not necessarily like go hang out outside, outside of work, but to learn about like their hopes and dreams and, and who they are and help expand them as an individual. Right. And so I think it's one, our duty to do that, like outside of professional, like, so it's like, okay, well, Hey, you're in accounting. I don't really care. Like, yes, you need to be great at accounting. That's why we hired you. But from a standpoint of like, what are you trying to get out of life? And, and those, some of these bigger ideas that I feel like I've been able to, or not that I've been able to, that I still try to learn and that I'm kind of chasing daily, which is like, how to live a fulfilled life, how to be, how to have a good family, how to deal with finances and things like that. And I've tried to make that a more of a point. Um, and it really came from this book. I think actually Cameron Harold recommended it was about the dream manager. Um, and so I've tried to really take that and, and grow on that from a standpoint of like, it talks about how like people have dreams, but a lot of people forget about their dreams once they kind of turn 18 or turn 25 or whatever, you know? Um, and so my passionate plea, I think would be like, to really realize that like people will like bend over backwards for you when, um, and really just thank you. Like you're giving them, you're sharing a gift of like, Hey, like you should still have dreams and Hey, you can do things that you want to do. And, and some people just either haven't been exposed. Like I feel like I've been pretty fortunate to be exposed to so many different things. And so to try to take some of these ideas that I've been exposed to and then share those with, you know, my team in hopes that they would then share them with their team. Right. Um, and it kind of trickles down and you create this, um, ultimately this, we'll call it a culture, but where it's like more about progress and things like that, as opposed to like ping pong tables and stuff like that, you know, there's a lot in there, man. You really, I think you went deep on that and I appreciate that. No, that's good. That's, 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 that's a, that's a compliment because I know I kind of threw, threw, threw that in you on you and and you're like, like, man, what's this? jerk doing to me <laughs> so, uh, it's but you answered it fantastically because uh, it bridges the world of the vision of the visionary who mm-hmm. oftentimes has done the opposite like they've actually checked off all the dreams they had in high school mm-hmm. and have to reinvent their own dreams in their own image which is yeah. a whole other issue where, where I see people kind of borrowing people's goals and like, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I need, you know, I've been, I've got the car, got the house, got the wife. Uh, I want to be this. Well, why? Well, because my friend has that and I want that too. It's like, well, yeah. does that actually matter to you? Well, not really. <laughs> so okay, what do you want? <laughs> so let's get to that. And then the flip side, it can be people who, um, who've been squished by the routine of their life and, and had to be in a situation long enough where maybe they did, um, I mean, the, the carpet's worn down, the carpet's worn down for them. And, uh, what can you do to share in that dream? You can, you can give them a little of your, of your vision. And, and when you do that, when I see that happen, what that often, most often looks like is a pride of culture sure. that, uh, that is unique. Uh, the under, the culture is unique. You, your culture is not the same as someone else's. I mean, I'm sure that your, your organizational culture has unique descriptors that will be different than many of the companies I work with. And when you can describe and talk about what we do here and who we are, uh, there becomes a sense of community. And right. when you have that sense of community, you can say with some degree of safety, what, do, what are your dreams? And, right. and asking that question can be quite illuminating and it can create a great sense of bond and power and impact right. and meaning for mm-hmm. the leader as well as the, the person who's sort of been inspired by that. Mm-hmm. I thought Jeff Hoffman did a fantastic job of describing that on, on his in his 
were you at his his, his talk uh, last year? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, so it was great, and he was on the podcast a couple months later, and really talked a lot about what it, many of the stories that um, were just life changing. Mm-hmm. examples of how his employees, his staff went to bat for him. He went to bat for them and they created this really bonded culture. Yeah. And and I, the point that I tried to draw out of that was that that was not accidental work and, or right. accidental outcomes. That was the decades of laying the groundwork of choosing to make, they have a, he has a specific choice to make human decisions over business decisions. And that, that you don't do that once and get that result. You do that a thousand times over 10 years and, and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the, you get the results from that. Yeah. So I will add to what your point though, that, uh, that it, that it is, that's a choice, uh, for your life, for your, for, for it's an, it is not a, something on a Saturday afternoon. I'm going to ask three people what they want to dream, what their dreams are. And then back to work Monday. That, yeah. that, that isn't it. So, yeah. uh, to paraphrase what you said to, uh, really reach to the, to the humanity of your team yeah. and, and, and make that an on, an on, build that into an ongoing part of your leadership every single day. Yep. Well, Chris, I really appreciate the, the time, the insight, the perspective. It's been helpful to me, which means um, there's a very high percentage chance that it's meaningful to somebody else who's listening to this. Uh, but uh, I really appreciate it, particularly the, the perspective on, on healthcare and testing and what, you, what you're doing. It, it makes me feel a little more um, plugged into something real as opposed to like lots of uh, stats on the news. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's it for today. So if, if somebody wants to find out about you, what's going on in your world, is there a website or is there, you know, LinkedIn or how do people find you in, in the world? Yeah, you can, I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Light. Um, uh, our website is principal spelled P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E-H-S as in Sam.com. So principalhs.com. Um, and if anybody wanted to email me, uh, it'd be C L I G H T at principal, uh, principal But awesome. yeah, I really appreciate you having me. I enjoyed the conversation and frankly, awesome. I'm the guest I now know you have had, I, uh, do not feel worthy to be here, but <laughs> no, man, it's awesome. 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 <laughs> something in there for someone. No, I so I, you know, I normally I would just kind of go right to the rap, but I think that that that's uh, a point. So I've really wrestled with it, the content on these conversations. I get people with names that people recognize, and um, sometimes it's sort of like their show, and that's yeah. fine. And people love the content, and I've gotten some really good feedback on those. Yeah. Uh, other times, I get real transformation in people uh, who you wouldn't know, yeah. and because we aren't on a platform. And yeah. we are talking about our real life experiences. Uh, and I find sometimes the wisdom is, is deeper there yeah. and, uh, and more il- illuminating because it's, it comes from a, a little bit rawer perspective as opposed to, you know, this is the topic of my book. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah. I, I got the book. You know? <laughs> so I read the book. I heard that. And yeah. you know, so, yeah. but man, it's been really helpful and I appreciate it. And I think it's really uh, valuable to, to the listeners. Yeah.